The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. David Ornstein says it's a done deal, so today there's only one story for us to put under the spotlight, and that's Erling Haaland is coming to Manchester City. Haaland! Oh, that's magnificent! Sensational! So this idea that Guardiola doesn't like strong characters, so egos is another thing. A league tax, so going from one league to another and what is maybe worth 10 goals in the Bundesliga may be worth 8 or 9, 7 or 8 in the Premier League as well. So it really looked on the TV as if as if it was a computer game glitch or something. The way he moved and changed direction and you know, there's just one of those moments where you just think, wow, this 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 player is something special. City correspondent Sam Lee, German football writer Kit Holden and data analytics supremo Mark Carrier all on the show with us today and we are going to unpack what could be one of the biggest signings in Premier League history. What kind of player are Dortmund about to lose? How City have won the race for his coveted signature and where does he fit into Pep Guardiola's super team and much, much more. So let's get straight into it. Big squad with us today. Kit, I'm going to come to you first for the German perspective. Sad day for the Bundesliga or sad time for the Bundesliga. He's one of the biggest names, one of the best goal scorers on the planet and he's making his way from the Bundesliga to the Premier League. Is it a huge blow to the country? Uh, in some ways, I mean, I think nobody's nobody's happy to see him go because he's been brilliant to watch over the last few years. And I think when he arrived, there was a, a lot of surprise and a lot of excitement um, that he, he'd chosen to go to Dortmund and not straight to the Premier League at the time or, or even to Bayern or someone like that. But I think it was always from the start, everybody knew this wasn't going to be forever and this was only going to be for, for a year or maybe two years. And it's turned out to be two and a half in the end. So I think in some ways in, in the Bundesliga, there's a feeling that they got more of Haaland than they expected. And, and as always with Dortmund, and as always with the German League, they'll be the next young star around the corner. Yeah, and Sam, a great time for you. Plenty to write about. One of the biggest stars joining the team that you cover, Manchester City. The missing piece in the jigsaw that was already pretty complete? Yeah, pretty much. I think it might take a bit of time to adapt slightly. I don't think he's going to slot. Well, he won't slot straight into what they've been doing this season. It will have to change. But I think he's capable of change. I think you know Guardiola's capable of change. The players are capable of change. We've seen... They can play so many different ways over the years, the way they've evolved kind of from season to season. But if we think about, you know, that Guardiola overthinking debate, which he kind of raised recently, the thing is, you know, he can, well, there's so many different ways for Manchester City to play from game to game. It kind of helps Mm. because all of a sudden now it's not, oh, we need to do something dramatically different. It's just, okay, we'll do something different, but we do something different every week. So I wouldn't be surprised if in his first season, like, so obviously we've seen with Jack Grealish, he's, he's not hit the ground running. And there's been a lot of, oh, you know, he's not scored that many goals, he's not got that many assists, is he going backwards, is he that type of player? And all this kind of conversation. I think with Haaland, he'll probably still score so many goals that he won't have the media on his case. It really is exciting and it's fascinating to see how it'll work. Mark, I suppose that's that's where you come in as well. Obviously, his top numbers in terms of goals scored are ridiculous. What is it? Uh, 85 and 88? Um, but what else underneath that does he bring um, and why is that so unique? Yeah, I, I looked at it since the start of last season and only Kylian Mbappe with 42 and Robert Lewandowski with 62 has scored more than Erling Haaland's 41 non-penalty goals. So taking away the penalties just for a bit more of a reliable 
um, number across the top five European leagues. So I think Sam made a good point about kind of his his all round game and his obviously his goal scoring. We know he's going to score plenty of goals. That much is is pretty much guaranteed. Um, but yeah, similarly, that's sort of been thrown at Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of his all round game. He we know that he can score goals, but he doesn't maybe get as involved in in the build up or indeed obviously off the ball as well. So in terms of the other things that he brings, Haaland doesn't tend to to like to get involved in the build-up. He is very much a kind of a penalty box striker, makes fantastic runs, really strong, really powerful. In a Pep Guardiola side, you know, with the false nines that are used, he likes his, all of his players to get involved in, in the play and have all those rotations. If you know that Haaland's going to be just there or thereabouts in the middle between the width of the goalposts, will he maybe be, you know, more easily marked? That's the pessimist in me, but of course, you know, you know how good he, he is already. He's, gonna, he's definitely going to score goals in the Premier League, but... As, as Sam said, I think Pep Guardiola will, will make sure that he moulds into more of a, a well-rounded forward rather than just necessarily a good striker, which he already is. Yeah, because Sam, obviously we know about the Harry Kane pursuit last summer. They are very different types of striker. So how did we get to the point where Manchester City are signing Haaland and not Harry Kane? Yeah, a bit of a long story, I guess. I think Guardiola, certainly last summer, preferred Haaland. Um, sorry, I'm just I'm just imagining the the kind of quote thing we're going to use for Instagram and social media saying Guardiola preferred Kane, <laughs> uh, and it's already it's already got me running scared of my social media mentions. Um, but yeah, la- last summer he did prefer Kane because it was more of a kind of ready-made fit. Um, Kane was seen as somebody who could be a false nine and a number nine all in one, whereas obviously Haaland, if he is ever going to be that false nine or drop off, whether it's in uh, for parts of games or for the whole game, you know that will take a big adaptation. I'm not sure it would makes sense but then again you know you never know how football and footballers can change and especially with Guardiola so so maybe but yeah basically Guardiola wanted Kane more as it was the um the false nine element as well and just you know plug and play put him in this team you could imagine City with Kane throughout this season you'd imagine it would have been absolutely fine the yeah. performance he actually put on against City at the Etihad when Spurs won it was kind of the perfect demonstration of that he was he was outside the box setting up chances for Son with balls in behind and he was inside the box scoring twice, a couple of other chances. Um, that was basically a perfect demonstration of how it would have looked at City. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. So in terms of how we've got from from that to this, there was, you know, I think Kane did have some kind of agreement with Daniel Levy. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't written down. There's a reason Jack Grealish is at City now and Kane isn't. It's because Grealish had a, a buyout clause in his contract. Kane didn't. Uh, even so, I think there was an agreement over the fee. And then when uh, when City went to Spurs, Daniel Levy went, uh, actually, we want more money. So it was all that kind of messing around frustration. City couldn't get it done. And then I think straight away, actually, I think City, because I think City as a club, there's not like there's ever really any major disagreements with Guardiola. But I, I do think City as a club were more keen on, on Haaland. And even as, as maybe it was a straight away in August, but I know in, by September people were, were already talking about, okay, Haaland's the one we're going to go for now. A rumour that I've not had confirmed yet, but hoping to by the time we write about it, was Guardiola needed a bit of convincing. Obviously, again, not major, because if Guardiola was dead against it, it wouldn't have happened. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But I think Guardiola would have been like, okay, well, Kane's still fine. Whereas the club were like, no, okay, this is this is the guy that's that's perfect for the team. It's perfect for the club. You know, for all the reasons you can imagine, and Guardiola's gone right. Okay, I trust you. It, it will obviously work. It can work. It will work. Um, and then they, yeah, they set about um, negotiating for him towards the the end of last year, laying the groundwork. Even so, around Christmas time, start 
start of January, City were like, well, we're going to try everything we can to sign this guy, but we think he wants to go to Real Madrid, so it's not going to be easy. They've managed to turn that tide and convince him, and obviously he is now coming in. So yeah, it's an interesting one. And obviously there was Ronaldo in the meantime. You know, Ronaldo could have happened when he was offered and, and Kane didn't. That yeah. would have been a bit of a spanner in the works, I guess. Um, but obviously we know that Rio Ferdinand and Patrice Evra and Alex Ferguson decided to get involved and... Got in everyone's yeah. ears, basically. I mean, Kit... Great, de- great decision makers. Kit, from a German perspective as well, you've obviously watched a lot of, of Haaland over, over the years. Is dropping deep something that you've ever seen from him? Because it's not you know, not what we've heard of him and how we know him when we've seen him at his best in the Champions League. But can he provide that when he might be required? I, I don't think it's impossible. I mean, uh, I think it's an interesting point. Sam makes there about the and it's always the way with transfers that you know our club's buying a player because he definitely fits their system or our club's buying a player because it's a good bit of business at that at that point in their in their development for Dortmund obviously it was certainly the latter and so for the last two years we have seen them kind of although he does fit their style of play in, in many ways we've also seen them build teams around him to a large extent um, and so he has been the focal point of the attack and that's been natural there's been nobody uh, really who, who is going to play in front of Haaland and for Borussia Dortmund so but I, I don't think that's that's necessarily uh, a limitation that, that will definitely be there for his whole career. I think he does have uh, the potential. I think it would be very interesting to see what a coach like Guardiola can can bring out of him. Um, and if you look at the way he's, he's worked with players like Royce and, uh, and, and Sancho even in the, in the first year, um, it's not like he's just a big man in the box who's, you know, uh, they send charging charging in one direction and, and try to pin balls out. There is, there is a lot more kind of culture to his game as well. I think it speaks to a to wider point about changing of, of league style as well. I mean, we saw it going back a couple of seasons with Timo Werner coming from the Bundesliga and obviously the way that RB Leipzig play with, you know, a real transition base, really fast going forward. And often, the I mean, Kit will be able to say it better, but sometimes the German um, defensive lines are maybe a little bit higher, which allows a bit more space in behind. Whereas in the Premier League, if you're playing against a side like Manchester City, like a Liverpool, like a Chelsea you're more likely maybe to, to sit off and play a little bit deeper, which doesn't allow as much space. And, and Haaland's really strong and really powerful in getting in that that space in behind. And same with sort of Romelu Lukaku. Okay, he hasn't played all that often, but again, adapting from the Serie A back to the, to the Premier League, obviously he's had some time in the Premier League. So I, I tend to sometimes use the word kind of a, a league tax. So going from one league to another and what is maybe worth 10 goals in, in the Bundesliga may be worth eight or nine, seven or eight in in uh, in the Premier League as well. So adapting to, to the style of not just the team that you're going to play for, but the league itself and the opposition that you're going to play for, play against, I should say. Um, so there's still plenty of adaptation, but he's 21 years old. Of course, he's got time to, to adapt. Yeah, Sam, I think people are looking for, for problems with this, as, as as is the world. But I think there's a couple of positives in, in there as well, in that I'm not saying they're exactly the same type of player, but Lewandowski and, and Haaland. So Pep worked with Lewandowski. And I would say Lewandowski is now a better footballer after working with Pep than he was before Pep came in. I get that he doesn't drop in deep at the moment and do those things that a Pep striker should do or Pep would want them to do. But Man City score a lot of goals from whipping the ball in low in the box and people getting on the end of things. That, that's him. That, that That's what he does. He's a, he's a penalty box poacher. So there's a couple of things for you that are, I think are real positives. Yeah, I remember when, you know, the end of the transfer window last last summer, um, Grealish would come in, Kane was looking to come in. I'd heard, you know, the City had been working on ways. They'd drawn up so much data behind the scenes about, 
you know, Grealish's ability to win free kicks, maybe that wouldn't be so bad um, because, you know, that Kane would be in the box. Um, there was plans about how it would all fit together. And now I think, funnily enough, I heard something last week that, you know, the thinking of Grealish cutting in from the left towards the corner of the penalty area and, and floating in crosses with his right foot towards the far post, maybe that could be something that Haaland profits from as well, um, which seems slightly unusual because... What they've been doing this season is Grealish kind of takes the defenders down to the corner. Then he passes it back to Cancelo. Cancelo's the one in that spot and he puts the ball in. But I guess either way, that's another route there as well as, yeah, the low crosses. And the thing is, if if you remember, I mean, it wasn't the most eye-catching game, obviously, in terms of on a, the average football fan's calendar. But when City beat Watford the other week and Gabriel Jesus scored four goals, De Bruyne started crossing again. Now there was a number nine in there. And the assists started coming again from from that ball. And De Bruyne has changed his game over the last 18 months or so while City have had this control. And obviously he was playing as a false nine for a lot of it last season. This season, you know, he's still been, he's still happy personally because he knows he can still contribute assists and he can still create chances. So the change hasn't negatively affected his game. It's just different. But it was funny that in that Watford game, he was putting the balls in the box and Jesus was on the end of them. And now you think if Haaland's going to be on the end of them and he'll probably be on the end of more because his movement's better, his instincts are better and all this yeah. kind of thing, then you've just got another way. You can you, City were so good two, three seasons ago uh, kind of creating just a bit of space on that inside half space on the right corner of the box this time, not the left we were talking about before, for De Bruyne just to either put the ball in high or normally either at mid-height or even along the floor. Whichever way he does it, He's got this uncanny knack of finding somebody at the back post. And if all of a sudden City say, well, you know, Haaland's in there now, let's get back to that, then that's going to be a hell of a supply of goals as well, you'd have thought. Kit, what sort of season has it been for Haaland? Because um, I feel like the last couple of years, my Twitter feed has been full of his highlights and clips, but it's been a slightly different season for him this time around he hasn't quite been able to be the kind of ridiculous blockbuster star for for, for a couple of different reasons yeah I and mean, i think that the big thing is is injuries i mean it's been a sort of slightly strange smoke and mirror season for him generally partly because of the the uh sort of transfer speculation and the fact that that's kind of overshadowed uh, everything he does all his performances and every injury gets how how quickly he's returning and things like that and and there have been two or three periods where he's where he's been out for a few games which has unsettled Dortmund it's obviously unsettled him um both on the pitch and off the pitch i think in total it's about about 15 16 games he's missed in in all competitions he still scored nearly 30 goals in all competitions so i mean that that says a lot about how good he is but um but it has been there have been times where not only have you felt that his rhythm has been interrupted but also that that perhaps him and the club are on on slightly different tacks about how they go about that uh, dealing with those injuries and, and bringing him back into the team there was a point i think in february where he sort of was posting on social media oh i'm, I'm going to be coming back soon and in the end it turned out to be three or four weeks time so there's a lot of this kind of as I say smoke and mirrors going on about about his development this year um when he's been good he's, he's still been absolutely brilliant and and that kind of base things that we've been talking about the instinct the movement the goal scoring they haven't gone away um but there have also been games where he's he's gone a bit quieter um I think towards the end of the season in particular the fans started to get a bit tired of it all um and the kind of the love that there was for him maybe at the start of the season started to fade a little bit at Dortmund. And I think now, you know, in some ways, there's quite a lot of Dortmund fans will say, okay, 
the We've first year enough. was great. <laughs> yeah, the second year was was a little bit less great. So let's take the money and go. Also, just to as well, those injury issues are they things that City should be mindful of? Are they things that could become long term problems for him? I mean, not being a medical specialist and not not knowing you know his knees and things, I I, I can say either way. But I think I think it's probably more a case uh, that it's that it's a Dortmund issue rather than a Haaland issue. How much of a long term effect that has on his development, I don't know. But it, there has been a lot of speculation in Germany, a lot of talk in Germany in the last few months that, that Dortmund have a lot of injuries um, and a lot of muscular injuries as well. I mean, Haaland barely had any any spells on the sidelines when he was at Salzburg and, and at clubs before. So, and he's had, as I say, in the last in the last year particularly, uh, ten games in the league out out with injury, fifteen sixteen out of all competitions. So, I think I think this is probably more of a of a Dortmund thing about about how they manage the physicality of their players, um, and we'll see how that how that plays out in the mid long term. Yeah, I was going to say it, it seems like it will be a, one of the priorities for the Man City medical department to make sure it. So it doesn't continue because it is, it's more muscular injuries. I, I think it was problems with his hip flexure as well. Yeah, I mean, I looked into the numbers. You're right, Kit, it was 16 games so far that he's he's missed across three separate injuries. And he's played, in, in the league at least, he's played 61% of Borussia Dortmund's total league um, minutes that have been available and compare that with 79% last season as well. So even though he scored, what did we say before, 21 goals in 23 league games, for Dortmund, uh, maybe close to thirty in all competitions, um, still not, still basically having played just shy of two thirds of the the total available minutes, which is still so impressive. But uh, I, yeah, you'd hope that Manchester City do sort of sort it out from a medical perspective because he is so explosive, isn't he? He's so he he makes those yeah real explosive runs from either from deep if if Dortmund are um, are on the break or just those little ones just to the the near post that you hope that those muscle injuries for someone who whose strength is their explosive pace um, don't continue. And I imagine it will be a priority for the Man City medical department. So I went to Brina where he grew up during the international break and I spoke to his first coach and well, we spoke for like four hours. But he said towards the end, he, he, he does say he thinks he's played too much football over the last 18 months or so. Maybe bit more than that he said he's played every game for Norway obviously um he said every game for Dortmund obviously you've spelled out the actual numbers there but he just thinks he, he's played too often um now you think obviously you come to City you mentioned City's medical department I did an article on this in lockdown like the stuff you know the detail they go into there is phenomenal maybe there's something they could find to fix it I suppose the concern is because obviously this guy we, we talk about this guy as if you take age out of it. He's that good already. We don't have to say, are oh, we so good for just 21? We just talk about him being phenomenal. We kind of forget that the last 18 months, he has still been developing. And I know um, Guardiola was, part of the reason he was reluctant to use Foden as he was coming through was because, okay, slightly different, it's because of his size and his physicality, but also it's playing youngsters too much at a young age. So you hope that there's not some kind of more lasting damage there. But I think... One of the reasons that City have been able to win the race, if we kind of throw it forward to that slightly, is because I think City made the argument to him that, look, you've played at Dortmund in so many games. If you went to Real Madrid, you'd have to play every game because if you don't get picked, the fans won't be happy because you're a big signing. The pressure will go to the manager and then the pressure will go to the owner. So you have to play politically all the time whereas at City you know Guardiola is the great figurehead of that club Guardiola can make any decision he wants and even if it backfires and does in the pressure going why is he doing this why, is, why did he take De Bruyne off if it's the other night why is he dropping Aguero for this big game as, if, as was the case a few times Guardiola will just 
assume that responsibility completely and he'll either say it was the right thing to do or he'll admit he, he made the mistake but if he feels that that Haaland can't play just to kind of keep him fresh or to prolong him his, his season or to avoid an injury or whatever it may be Guardiola will do that and I think that's one of the arguments that the City made so there's obviously there are going to be ways that they can manage it obviously you just hope that you know, playing so much football recently hasn't had too much of an impact. But, you know, City are signing him anyway, so you presume that they're pretty confident they can manage it. Sam, you just mentioned Real Madrid. Was there anyone else close to getting him or, or was it always going to be Manchester City that got this over the line? As far as I know, well, no, it wasn't always going to be Man City that got it over the line. Like we said earlier on, City, it wasn't that they believed, it was that they knew. You know, they'd had, they'd had conversations with, you know, the agents and, and Alfie, Erling's dad. I think they'd been told that Real Madrid was something he really wanted to do and Real Madrid was something that you know he, w- he would want to do this summer. Um, so that's when it came into City going, well, we're going to try everything we can to sign this guy regardless of that. Um, you know, there's been a few, there's been a few, like every story I see about Barcelona just makes me laugh. It's it's like, does anyone believe this? Like, there's just, like if there was one yesterday, it's, oh, he really wanted to go to Barcelona, but his agent told him to to go somewhere else. It's like, and, and I don't think that's true anyway, because if you really want to go to Real Madrid, which I firmly believe to be the case based on the information of where it's come from, and I don't think it would be like, oh, he's desperate to go to Barcelona as well. Maybe, maybe. But, but does, that mean, Sam, does that also mean that throughout the next few years um, when he is at City, there is always going to be a cloud about when is he going to Real Madrid? Not not if, but when. There's, a, there's always going to be eventual departure for, for him to move on to Real Madrid. It's a concern. I mean, I, look, I don't think if next season starts off brilliantly, or even if it doesn't, to be fair, I don't think anyone's going to be saying, oh, what about Real Madrid? But it's one of those things that will be there and people might not want to hear it now. But even if it's just something the Madrid press start up, you know, Benzema retires next season, next summer or leaves next summer for argument's sake. Um, and then, you know, Madrid carry on how they are for that's another season. But then maybe once you get into Haaland's third season at City, Let's just say midway through. This is all hypothetical, of course, but it's something I could see happening. You've got Marker and Ass every day, like Operation Harland, you know, that kind of thing. And then he starts getting asked about it after games. You know, mm-hmm. Guardiola, if he's still there, presumably will be, will still be, he'll be getting asked about it as well. So yeah, to answer that question, it does seem like it's going to be something that comes up eventually. Like, it's not not from day one. You know, he's not going to make his debut and score a hat-trick and go, oh, well, that's the countdown to Real Madrid started. You know, it, it won't be that bad. But it is something. it is a bit of a concern that... They, they know there is this desire to go there. I think, you know, it's it's even been reported. And I, I don't know this personally, but I know the person who's reported it and I, you know, trust them a lot enough to bring it up here in, in conversation. It's been reported that City would one day eventually let him go. And obviously there's yeah. talks of release clauses and these kind of things. So if it's three, four years down the line, then it's something to kind of be prepared for, shall we say. Because they're getting, they're getting for such a low fee, aren't they? Even if he does go, they're going to make a huge profit because they're underpaying for him essentially. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Like the commissions, so look, it's fine because it's it's what well, it's fine in my view. A lot of people might say it's still a lot of money, and to be fair, it's more money than most Premier League league teams could spend. But in terms of the low release clause, um, yeah, it's very low. But obviously, they're going to pay almost the same amount, almost the same, in commissions, which means it's about 115 million which is still cheaper than what they would have got Kane for or around the same. Yeah. And you've got that longevity and you've got that sell-on. So in terms of is it a problem, I think you've also got to think of it from like a City point of view. They've never bought a player, really. Okay, Sane didn't really work out. The people they've got, you know, they're, they're unveiling a statue of Sergio Aguero on Friday. Silver and company, they've already got them. When City have bought these players, they've stayed 
And they've had them for 10 years. De Bruyne, yeah. how long has De Bruyne been there now? Seven years? He'll be going into his eighth season. Um, Fernandinho, 2013, that was, so nine. Um, David Silva was there for 10 years. Torre, uh, nine, 10. You know, City fans expect, purely because this is how it's worked, they're big signings to, to come and stay. Sterling's been there seven years. You know, these guys have been so important to what they do. So, you know, if you were to think uh, only three or four years of Haaland right now, I suppose it's interesting that you say it wouldn't be a problem because, you know, you get the salon fee. That's definitely one way to look at it. I suppose the other side of it from a City point of view is you're hoping that this guy's going to be there for 10, 15 years and play alongside Phil Foden for all that time and yeah. score untold amount of goals. But the one thing I would say is I don't think anybody, least of all City, expected Guardiola to be here for so long. And there's now a decent chance he signs a new contract as well. So maybe they're thinking, if we just get him in, we can say, yeah, yeah, he can go to Real Madrid. But maybe he loves it so much, he never wants to leave anyway. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Still to come, we're going to explore exactly how we think Erlen Haaland fits into Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, as well as some other stories that have grabbed our attention on The Athletic over the past few days. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Sam, we obviously saw recently the news of Jurgen Klopp extending his contract to Liverpool. And I think at the start of this month, I saw something that, that said Guardiola was close to doing the same at City. What is the latest on his future? Yeah, yeah. You know, as this is kind of drawn to a close in terms of the Haaland, um, the contracts being signed, I, I think part of it was, you know, you, you come to Man City and, you know, Pep Guardiola will be here. So... You couldn't really, I suppose you could, I suppose. Did United do it under Ferguson, really, when they signed Van Persie and Kigawa and then he left after a year? Um, but I know, I, I think there's there's been some assurances there that if Haaland comes to City, then that Pep will be around as well. So uh, I think it's it's looking pretty likely. Guardiola's always talking about how happy he is. I think I wrote an article about this recently, but the way the Champions League knockout stages has gone off the pitch, obviously on the pitch... I guess there'll be more hunger to to go again next season because of what happened in Madrid. But in terms of kind of off it, it might have reminded him how how much he likes it um, in the Premier League. He, he said recently, he goes, he goes, England is the best place to to be a manager. You know, the, in in Barcelona, you'd have media in the bushes and stuff, which is quite funny now. He's complaining about the media and saying they all support Liverpool. But I, I think he knows that he's got a sweet deal. When he was at Bayern Munich, he had people above him. Uh, criticizing, giving support, whatever it was, whether they were being constructive or not, it was just, will you just shut up and let me get on with it? And at Real Madrid, um, well, in, against Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, he saw the problems again with the Spanish media and creating controversy out of nothing. So I think he's in a good place. And in fact, that's, you know, that's that's been the message from the club. He's in a really good place. So I think he's ready to, to do another couple of years. Uh, I think obviously with this challenge of, of Haaland and how it fits in, I'm, I'm sure that would excite him as well. So, yeah, I think that that's the way that that one's heading with with Guardiola and City. So that that battle with Klopp over the next few years is is going to go on. Mark, you're a Liverpool fan. Obviously, you know, the, the points total that you have to get to win the league now with these two sides is absolutely ridiculous. Does Haaland coming in scare you? <laughs> 
yeah, I don't want my bias to to influence my my answer here too much. But I, I mean, obviously, so City are obviously one of the most dominant teams in the world anyway, without Erling Haaland. But there is just that odd occasion isn't there where they just can't quite crack a, a stubborn defence, and I think that this is where he'll just be that that final piece of the puzzle, if you want to say that. I think there was. Some would remember better than me. It was a couple of nil-nil draws against was it Southampton and Crystal Palace, I think. Um, so those those sorts of games where you just need someone to score something out of nothing, you walk away with a one-nil win. And Sam mentioned obviously the the Champions League, and it was a a random turn of events. It was it was such a crazy game, but things like that, as you've seen with obviously Karim Benzema at the other end across that whole tie, just scoring something out of nothing. It was barely a chance. I think that first goal he scored in the tie. Um, you know he'll offer that as well, um, Erling Haaland. So being able to get them over the line in those sort of real, you know, those real close games, um, I think will be quite scary. And as we've said before, he is outright, you know, a very good player, just irrespective of his age. But there's just going to be so many years that he's going to obviously operate at this level. So yeah, scary, I would say. Yeah, Kit. Just I wanted to ask you a question. Something that's been playing on my mind. These two teams, absolutely incredible, Manchester City, Liverpool. I would have said that Man City was short of a striker, Liverpool perhaps short of a, another number eight. Because Dortmund have sold Haaland now, I would have said Liverpool would have probably been looking at getting Bellingham. Dortmund wouldn't want to lose two players in one summer, would they? So does that put pay to that now? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in Dortmund there's been generally quite a lot of confidence that Bellingham would stay uh, at least another year. Um, I think, I think, there's a, there's a sense that, that that's kind of the rhythm they're in now. And, you know, Sancho uh, stayed for another year after there was a lot of speculation. Haaland has stayed for another year after there was a lot of speculation. And I think there's a sense that they can offer those players uh, that kind of option and say, look, there's a, there's a precedent here for, for another year yeah. of development and then, a, and then a really big move at the right time. But on the other hand, I think Bellingham's uh, development in, in this, this year has been absolutely incredible. Um, and... and Perhaps a lot more. He's come on a lot faster and, and uh, a lot more than, than a lot of people might have expected. Um, and so there will be a lot of speculation again. And I think if the with Dortmund, it's always the case that that if if the right money comes knocking. I mean, uh, Hans Joachim Batsko, the CEO, said this said this a while back about Holland. You know, if City come knocking and for City, I think you can read Real Madrid, Liverpool, any big Premier League club. Uh, if the right money is there, then essentially they they can't necessarily argue with it. So um, if, if Liverpool want to pay over the odds, it's not impossible. But I think there is a lot of confidence at the moment. They they can keep him. They're looking to rebuild at the moment. Dortmund. I mean, they've got a, a new sporting director in with with Sebastian Kale. Um, it'll be Marco Rosa's first. Uh, not his first full season in charge, but his first uh, sort of point where he can say, "Okay, this is my my project now as a coach. Um, this is this is my team that I want to build." Um, there'll be a few players out the door, um, not just Haaland, but but others too, and and they'll be looking to get a few players in. So it's 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 the start of something new at Dortmund, and I think Bellingham is is definitely at least for the next year a, a part of those plans. Sam, you've already touched on, or we spoke about the 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 narrative around this move that has been going on he's someone who commands headlines and we talked about maybe the 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 cloud of real madrid following him during his time at city but how is guardiola going to manage that because we know that he's not someone that particularly likes having big superstars be the center of attention how do you think that is going to work at a club like manchester city well i mean messi was the center of attention I think a lot of stock and possibly too much stock has been put into this Latan Ibrahimovic quote. 
I've been talking about this a lot recently because there's been a lot of talk about City going out of the Champions League because of a lack of leaders and this kind of stuff. And okay, you know, at City, there's not a load of Champions League winners and there's not a load of World Cup winners. Uh, you know, maybe they've they've still got a, a step to take. Um, but I think you know, if you've got a big shocking defeat like City had against Madrid, you need a kind of big hefty conclusion. You need to say why is this? What what's the big deep rooted failing? Uh, you can't just say it's football, it's Real Madrid, and it happens. There has to be a big reason. Somebody has to be at, at fault. And I think it's been very easy to say, okay, well, it's Guardiola then because his his teams have conceded goals in in bursts. And I think that there's there's something to that. You know, there's it it doesn't just happen for no reason. But at the same time, you know, there's a there, there's momentum in football. It can happen. But it's been tied in with this idea. There's Latan Ibrahimovic has said Guardiola doesn't like strong characters or egos or whatever. We do always have to take what Ibrahimovic says with a pinch of salt as well. I think I think you're right. He's not known. Well, especially was that book was like heavily ghostwritten, wasn't it? Like it wasn't necessarily his own words. It was kind of he had a bit of. A, I know autobiographies work in the way that the subject sits down and they speak to the ghostwriter and then the ghostwriter puts it out. But wasn't it wasn't it like heavily embellished? And even to the extent that Ibrahimovic was like, "Wow, well, okay, I don't remember saying half of this, but it's fun." I think so I, I feel like most of what he says is, is heavily embellished, isn't it? That's the kind of <laughs> yeah, character. Yeah, true. He's... Even, even directly from <laughs> yeah. mouth to mouth. But anyway, the point being this: so this idea that Guardiola doesn't like strong characters, so egos is another thing. Big egos and egotistical guys who maybe don't do what they need to do for the team. So the problem with Ibrahimovic was he wouldn't step aside or adapt his role to let Messi flourish and become, you know, the player he has become. Ibrahimovic didn't want to be part of that. So Guardiola, obviously, in his way that Ibrahimovic describes, basically just. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the best way of sitting him down and saying, "Look, you're going." It was just ignoring him. Okay, fine, not brilliant man management. And yeah, there's plenty of players at City. You think, God, this guy's weird. I don't really don't particularly like like him. Bit tired of him, but God, he gets results. So fine. Um, but yeah, so it's it's more about the ego and it's it's putting the the player before the team. That's what he doesn't like. And if we come back to strong characters, I'm not going to reel them off. In fact, no, I will. Victor Valdez, Gerard Piquet. Danny Alves, Carlos Puyol, Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, Messi. I'm trying to think of it. strong characters. Like Alexis Sanchez was a strong character. You wouldn't put him in that classic Barca team, but a strong character. David Villa, Pedro won World Cups. Um, at, at Bayern, like notoriously, his problems at Bayern were because he had to try, change that German culture, and that German culture was in the dressing room. You know, the the big figures of Germany's World Cup win: Manuel Neuer, Thomas Muller, Bastian Schweinsteiger. Um, Chabi Alonso later on, big leader, Jerome Boateng, um, Philip Lahm, uh, Arjen Robben, Frank Ribéry, strong characters, winners, you know, and he didn't win the Champions League with Bayern, which everybody, you know, you, you can't move for being reminded of that, but it wasn't because he didn't have strong characters, it wasn't because he li- he wanted but to I get suppose, rid of strong I characters suppose, and he didn't know how to work with them. I suppose, Sam, the difference is, is that Haaland actually doesn't, I mean, he has done some some big post-match interviews, but unlike those guys who are strong characters but don't necessarily command the attention and the limelight, because of who he is, because of his dad, because of his reputation, it's a slightly different scenario because of his, his agent and, and that agency. I feel like that's the difference, I guess, between the Lams, the Botengs, and those sorts of characters and your Messis, your Mbappes, uh, your Ronaldos. Yeah, but again... Um, Guardiola had Messi there was you know there were there's always talk of 
problems with Messi in his final season. There's that infamous story with the the Coke can and Messi saying, you know, Guardiola saying you can't drink that and Messi going out to a vending machine, bringing a Coke can back and drinking it in front of him. I've never been able to get to the bottom if that's true or not. So there was obviously kind of issues there, but it was never an issue. Like nobody ever said Messi struggled under Guardiola. If anything, the opposite is true. It's that ridiculous line that Guardiola can't win the Champions League without Messi, that somehow Messi is everything in his career, which is obviously just patently not true. So, yeah, okay. In Germany as well, it's more strong characters and leaders in the dressing room. I, I know the point you're making, but I was speaking to a former a former player about this the other night, and he goes, "I played against Latan, and he was like, he spent 45 minutes on the halfway line just berating his teammates, swearing <laughs> at them, and like the worst swear words as well. He's like, that's not a that's not a good dressing room character. Mm. You know, I, I don't like. Well, I've mentioned how many World Cup play, winners that I mentioned then. There's Latan Ibrahimovic. Okay, maybe if he played for for Spain or Germany, he would have won a World Cup. But we hold up Ibrahimovic's example here and his opinions as if it's gospel, as if every team in the world needs an Ibrahimovic in the dressing room. Do they? I don't buy it. I don't, I don't really buy any of this. And the, and the, the last point about Haaland is he's not. I don't think he's a dick. Like he's a strong <laughs> well, character. Kit, Just got Kit, to attract headlines. Kit, you, Kit, you he's tell a good us. Team, he's a good teammate. Kit, it, what is what is his reputation among his teammates? I mean, I, I think I think Sam's absolutely right. I don't think he's got a reputation as a as a troublemaker or as or even even as a as a massive ego on the pitch or in in the dressing room or in the squad. I mean, that's perhaps to do with the fact that he's still quite young, and you know, we'll see how he develops. Obviously, he's got that kind of natural confidence that you see in interviews, you see in the goal celebrations. But I don't think that translates as a kind of you know elbowing his teammates out the way to to, to hog the limelight. And I think. You know, I mean, as I said, there's there's been a, a slight kind of fatigue in the last in the last few weeks and months among among the fans and the media at the fact that this saga has dragged on so long, and maybe a slight frustration that I mean, he had an interview where he, he sort of said the club were putting pressure on him, and there was a bit of kind of people were a bit upset about that. But I mean, that's that's a very very small thing, and it's small things, and it's part of the course in a situation like this. And I don't think there's anybody really who would say. I mean, at Dortmund they speak very very highly of him and of his work ethic and and. and you know his commitment, his mentality. So I don't think there's anybody who would say this is a this is a, an ego that needs to be kind of tamed. I think I think the mentality is there, but it's not not problematic yet, at least. Mark, before we go, you'd obviously have looked at the data. Is there anything in there that you would say is going to make this not a success, or is it you've looked at it and this is just undoubtedly going to be a huge moment for Manchester City and a huge signing? Yeah, I mean, from a from a goal scoring perspective, we've we've covered it enough, obviously, in this this episode. There's there's almost no doubt that he's he's going to get goals. I looked into sort of how much he keeps possession, how much you know, how good is his ball retention. He's maybe not the the strongest in that regard, but that might be partly to do with the the team style of Dortmund. And obviously, thinking about it in contrast to how possession dominant and how much it's a it's an absolute sin to to lose the ball in a Pep Guardiola side. So I don't think that's necessarily. Well, it might not be exclusively down to a skill or a lack of skill of Erling Haaland. It may be to do with team style, but his ball retention this season especially hasn't been all that strong, but it may be down to, to team style. But I don't know whether Kit would, would know better than me. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a very, very different type of football. And, and as I say, Holland has been asked to lead the line in a, in a team that, that still plays, uh, relies largely on those kind of transitions. And as you said, those runs in behind the in the back line. So, I mean, the the thing that he's, that he's shown out with Dortmund is is 
that that predatory instinct, those movements. I, mean, I remember a goal against Gladbach. I think it was last season. I think it was actually ruled offside in the end. But but I remember watching it, and it, it really looked on the TV as if as if it was a computer game glitch or something. The way he moved and changed direction, and you know, just from one second to the other, and that was, you know, there was just one of those moments where you just think, wow, this 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 player is something special. And so yeah, I mean, those those kinds of things are the things that he's been asked to do at Dortmund, and uh, yeah, we'll see. I think I think Guardiola can bring out new elements of his game. Sam Laslow, before we go, will that be it for Sitter? No, I think mid- midfielder for sure. Um, they'd, they'd offered a contract to Pogba. They were serious on Pogba, but obviously David Ornstein, just as a, just as, as a kind of under-the-radar secondary item in that column under the massive Haaland story, which has obviously gone around the world. Oh, by the way, Pogba's not coming. So that's an interesting one for City because normally, normally they've got their targets wrapped up by April, May in terms of they know they're going to come or not and then they go and negotiate so obviously Pogba turning them down at this late stage you know obviously it's early in the market but late compared to how they normally do business is an interesting one uh, but no there'll be another midfielder but I don't know I was in I, I, my theory on the Pogba one was if he comes in for free it would maybe allow them to spend money on somebody else in midfield because Fernandinho's going to go I've heard more than a few whispers about Gundogan I couldn't tell you for certain he's going to go but I wouldn't be surprised if he did and then we've been talking recently about their squad not being that big you know, it's certainly quality, but there's not loads and loads. And Guardiola says they've got 13 and a half players for the last three games. Um, so you lose two midfielders from there, potentially, you need to bring in two. Um, and then in the front, the front line's interesting because Gabriel Jesus will go. They might bring in Julian Alvarez from River Plate, who they've got that option to bring in in the summer. So they'll have a look at him. But Sterling's in a similar position to, to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you'd have this mad paradox where if they both went, and I think... I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but they, they could both go, Jesus and Sterling. And then City bring in two number nines. They wouldn't have much variety on the wing. All of a sudden, they'd have too many strikers and not enough wingers, which would be the complete opposite of the last couple of years. So I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to pan out, but hopefully by the end of the season, that once Haaland's blown over, we'll be able to say, right, this is what they want. These are the players they want. But no, they'll, they'll, go, and, they'll go and get more for sure. Not loads, but there's a, there's a couple more things to do. Kit, Mark, Sam, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, I imagine we will be finding out very soon once this is all confirmed and seeing the uh, the big shirt release and the pictures and all that kind of stuff. But for now, yeah, thank you so much for our little deep dive into Erlen Haaland. Still time for us to point listeners in the direction of some of the other great articles that are up on the site right now. Flo, have you got one for us? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm Nancy Frostick's like, official fangirl and hype Frostick. woman at the moment. But, I mean, Wagatha Christie is finally heading to the courts. Um, it's a big week for that uh, whole story and everything that happened there. And uh, Nancy's done a nice little kind of background piece. She talks about the case, how it all started, where we are at the moment. Um, and also, obviously, that tweet in October 2019, which I still remember where I was. I feel like time stopped. I did zero work that I still day. I can't believe it was that long, long that um, longer. I know, pre-pandemic, right? Which is a weird, yeah. weird thing wow. to think about. But yeah, I mean... It's, it's going to be really interesting. I know The Athletic have lots of reporters following the case as well. So, yeah, it, exciting to see what happens next. Yeah, I'm going to pick out Phil Hayes' piece off the back of their Leeds' defeat to Arsenal on Sunday. I felt really sorry for Phil last week on our podcast. 
because I felt like he was in quite a bad place with it anyway and then I felt like I made it worse because I really did fancy Leeds to go down and now they're obviously in the bottom three but I just thought he encapsulated what it's like to be a fan, a writer and a player really in in the situation of being in a relegation dogfight. I just thought he described the whole day really well, obviously with Everton playing at the same time as well. So yeah, it's well worth going and checking that one out because it, it's a great article. Phil knows what's going on with, with Leeds as well, better than anyone. So it, it's a really good article to go and check out. And the relegation race, is it a race? It's just so exciting at the moment. And a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. It's just £1 a month for the first six months. So head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to get started. Yep, thanks to our guests Kit Holden, Sam Lee and Mark Carey for joining us today and of course thank you to all of you for listening as well. Do get involved in the comments section, we'd love to hear your thoughts and why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you've got the time. This was the Athletic Football Podcast, Mark Chapman's going to be back on this feed on Thursday with the latest episode of the Business of Sport Podcast and we'll be back again next week. The Athletic.